You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good morning, Grace Community Church. It's wonderful to share this Easter with you. I've been thinking about a lot of things this Easter week as we should, believers should be thinking about as Jesus moved toward the cross and now this day we get to celebrate his resurrection. But I've been a bit nostalgic this week as well and thinking about my father. My my dad was a funny man. He had a saying for everything, just like some people have a song for everything and that would sort of be me. But my dad had a saying for everything. For instance, when I would ask him something that he thought was none of my business, he might say, none of your beeswax, cornbread and shoe tacks. I mean, he had something for everything. He often took opportunities to teach me about life. Well into my adult years, he would often say something like, Brad, don't you know that? And then he would offer his wisdom. I I remember one time we were in the grocery store together, maybe on the way to play golf or coming back, and I got in a line behind a couple of people, and he said, Brad, don't you know not to get in a grocery line behind an elderly person who has a purse of change out? I'm probably going to get in trouble for that, but that's just an example of his wisdom and his wit. I can still hear him today saying, Brad, don't you know better than to? Far from resenting my dad's advice, I would just smile and learn my lesson. Okay, well, I usually still get in the wrong grocery line, but other than that, My my dad's way of instruction is a little bit of the sense that you get in Luke 24. When Jesus encountered different followers of his on the day that he rose from the dead. Don't you know? Didn't you remember? Foolish Foolish and slow of heart. Oh, you should have known. No one felt chastised though. Every single person was too overcome with joy to be offended. Furthermore, Jesus' instruction led to faith. But should they have known? Why were they not better prepared? Well, the truth was hidden from their eyes. There is that. It took some of you a long time to see Jesus. And I know that you wish that it had happened earlier in your life. But the beautiful account of of the day of Jesus' resurrection that that we uh, have read finds no wounded believers, only joyful hearts that long to know and to serve him better. Our text today, the entire chapter of Luke 24, and the title of the message, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, is... What we now know about Jesus that we should have known before. I will encourage you to have your Bibles open to Luke 24. We have already heard it beautifully read, but you're going to need to refer to this text. And so before we begin, 
Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to the risen Jesus. We long for the day when all believers will either be caught up in the air to meet you or our own bodies will be resurrected with new flesh designed for eternity. Open our hearts to your word this day and may we see Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Luke 24 opens with several women coming to Jesus' tomb in the early dawn or literally the deep dawn of the first day of the week. They had kept the Sabbath as old covenant believers were required to do. And they now came to the tomb on this first day of the week to anoint Jesus' body with with spices. These women, like Martha, and in fact, like most Jewish men and women of the day, anticipated a resurrection, but they did not anticipate it until the last day. They surely did not expect to find Jesus having risen from the dead, and indeed, it is what they did not find that rocked their worlds in the best possible way. They did not find the body of Jesus, which they expected to find. Instead, they found an empty tomb with grave cloths neatly folded. And they found a few angels giving them the wonderful news. After the resurrection account in the first 12 verses of Luke 24, we read the account of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were met by Jesus and only recognized him later when he broke bread in their home with them. Afterwards, Cleopas, one of the disciples, and his companion hot-footed it back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles that they had seen Jesus, but no one believed their account No one had believed the women's account. They didn't believe until they finally saw Jesus. And isn't it, it's wonderful to think about the fact, because we're human and this is just the way we think about that. The women were probably there. Surely the two disciples who had met Jesus on the Emmaus Road were there. And now their reports were vindicated. Jesus appeared before them. And by the way, with these two disciples on the Emmaus Road, no one had ever been taught at the level they were taught that day that all scripture pointed to Jesus. After Jesus ascended to heaven at the end of Luke 24, we're told that the disciples could not stay away from the temple where they spent their time talking and preaching about Jesus, fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what they were doing. On another Easter, I might talk a good bit more about arguments for the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But today, I'm just going to accept the facts as they are written. I know that not everyone does. And I have a question for you. The the, the folks of Grace hear this question a a, a decent amount. And there may be some of you, though, that, that are not normally at our services. And I want to ask you, how is it that two people of similar uh, age, with similar life experiences, similar intelligence, similar exposure to the Bible and its presentation of Jesus, how is it that those two people can have opposite responses to the gospel? 
I don't know. Why do some believe and some don't? Why do we believe? Why do I believe? I just do. If you think that you are intelligent enough not to believe, you're too intelligent to believe, I can assure you that there is someone far smarter who does believe. The evidence for Jesus being God's son is compelling when you look with the eyes of faith. And sooner or later, it is about faith. Today's message covers all verses in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. But as we go, we start to pick up several patterns in the text. Today's message is really meant to be a guide to help you see more than meets the eye. You know, stuff that we should have already known about Jesus. And when we see patterns in scripture, we should sit up and take notice. So I hope your pen is ready or your fingers sit nimbly on the keys of a device that you are not using to watch this Easter service. Because I'm going to give three lists that contain five points. You can process this later on your own or your family can study these together. Or if you're in a home group, you'll discuss the implications of these points together in community as a group. We always learn better in community. For lack of a better way of saying this, the point of this message is all the points that emanate from the text. Since the three primary accounts in the chapter follow a pattern, let's begin with our first list, which is Resurrection Day patterns for Jesus' followers. And first up is the people in the story already believed, but their understanding was imperfect. In our study of John's gospel, we have discerned the difficulty that the disciples had understanding that Jesus would go away. And they refused to entertain any notion whatsoever that he might die. It's not that they didn't believe Jesus. They did. It's just that their understanding was imperfect. We can hardly fault them for not thinking that Jesus would die. We would have had no chance of doing better. For starters, the Lord had not revealed all the truth about himself to them, although they had faith enough to believe that he was the Holy One of God. Peter's words from John 6. Have you noticed that the best teachers don't tell you everything you need to know at once? I mean, they'll give you a little bit at a time and then they'll reinforce what you've already learned. But they'll wait for the perfect moment before the big reveal. Often it's later than we want it to be, but it's at just the right time. Every person we encounter in Luke 24 already believed, but they were now in a position for Jesus' teaching to coalesce into a far greater understanding of just who Jesus was. And then together they would learn so much more. At deep dawn, though, they were not quite ready. Thus, they were skeptical, skeptical I'm sorry, of the astonishing notion that Jesus had risen from the dead. I asked during the Good Friday service whether you thought some of the women who had financed Jesus' ministry were disappointed with their investment. 
Joanna, the wife of Herod's household manager, was one of the women who was weeping at the cross and one of the women who went to anoint Jesus' body with spices. It's highly unlikely that Joanna was bitter, only broken-hearted. She went, along with all the other Marys, to anoint Jesus' body. When they found an empty tomb, they were alarmed that Jesus' body was not there. The faithful in Israel believed in the resurrection of the dead, but again, they only believed it would occur at the last day. The last thing that the women who went to the tomb were expecting was to see an empty tomb, to, to, to be told that Jesus had risen from the dead. So in Luke 24, 8, the angels rebuked the women for not remembering Jesus' words that he would be crucified and rise on the third day. And then they remembered. After that, their eyes were opened and they saw the risen Christ. Not all at one time, but eventually, the women and Peter and the disciples on the Emmaus Road and the eleven and many more with them saw Jesus on the day of his resurrection. Can you imagine? Do you remember the first time you met Jesus? It's not that you literally saw him like the people in our story did, but you may as well have. He was that real to you. You have seen the risen Jesus. A Christ who still lies in the grave is no benefit to you at all. But you have seen the risen Savior. Fourth, at the first possible moment, all who saw Jesus told someone else that they had seen him risen from the grave. When Jesus revealed himself to the women, they immediately went to tell others. When they told their tale to the apostles, though, notice Luke is now calling them the apostles. They told them their tale. That's exactly what the, the apostles said it was. It was an idle tale, or so they thought. When the two from Emmaus came in, didn't believe them either. And so, being human like we are, we're glad to see that at least the two disciples and probably the women as well were with the eleven along with many others when Jesus appeared vindicating the earlier reports. What was the response? Every time believers saw Jesus, their joy overflowed in one another's presence and it spilled over so that they couldn't help themselves or keep themselves from telling others about Jesus. The disciples marveled at Jesus' presence in their midst. Too midst, not missed. Too many were looking at him for it not to be real. Of course it was real. They were all together. They all saw. We, they all saw. We know how it is to be in love with Jesus when we're first saved, don't we? Especially those of us who were saved at a later age in life. But no matter how long you've been saved, here's the question. How long has it been since you sensed the presence of the Lord and the power of Jesus' resurrection? 
Those who saw Jesus on the first day went everywhere sharing the good news and all the doubt and angst of the previous three days rolled away as eternity unfolded before their eyes. There may be more to the story though. So let's get into our second list. Resurrection day truths that we might have missed. You may have thought about all the things in this list, but maybe you haven't. Should we have thought about these things? Look, let's don't worry about that. We'll surely be thinking about them from this point forward. Let's begin with, the Savior did not reveal himself to his followers in the order we might have anticipated. Who would you have expected Jesus to reveal himself to first? I would think Peter, James, John, then the 11, then Martha, Mary, and and Lazarus maybe, maybe his family. I don't know. Uh, To our knowledge, Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus after his resurrection. And that was at his choosing, of course. All we know for sure about Mary is that Jesus had cast out seven evil spirits from her. Uh, Was she the sinful woman written about in Luke 7? Many assume so, but we have no evidence for that whatsoever. Surely, though, she was an odd choice to be the first for Jesus to reveal himself to, except that she was the perfect choice. Jesus had said in Mark 2.17, Those who are well have no need of a physician. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. After Jesus appeared to Mary, he appeared to the rest of the women who had gone to to the tomb, Joanna and the multiple Marys. Somewhere in this time period, Jesus appeared to Peter. So finally, we get someone that makes sense for Jesus. Now wait. The last time we heard from Peter, he was denying knowing Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus. Okay, who was next? The disciples on the road to Emmaus who got a lot more than just an appearance. Imagine the first explanation of the importance of a Christ-centered interpretation of Scripture was given to a few of the rest of the disciples. That is how Cleopas and his companion were referenced in Luke 24, 9, when the women told the apostles and all the rest that they had seen the Lord. Two of the rest were on their way home to Emmaus when Jesus came to them and began talking with them about himself. Who was Cleopas and who was with him? Some think that he was Clopas of John 19.25, whose wife Mary, of course, was at the cross with her sister Mary, the mother of Jesus. If that is the case, Cleopas would have been Jesus' uncle. And since his wife was already in Jerusalem, it may have been she who was with Cleopas on the Emmaus Road. <clears throat> but, but you barely know who he was, right? Well, pe- 
people didn't know who he was before Luke was written. And it was to this obscure character in the grandest play on the stage of human history, who was the first to have had the dots connected from the law to the prophets, and as we will learn later in Luke 24, to the Psalms, all the way to Jesus and to his sufferings and his resurrection. Jesus rebuked the disciples for not knowing. It's almost as if he said, Cleopas, don't you know, don't you remember reading about this one in the scripture? After Jesus chided them, and I don't think they were upset, he taught them how scripture had pointed to him all along. What a privilege they were given. Here is another thing you might not have considered. Even though Cleopas may have been lesser known among the disciples when Jesus revealed himself to him, he would soon be known by most believers, and the inclusion of his name is one of the many proofs of the resurrection. Now, I said I wasn't going to talk much about this, and I, I won't. But early tra church tradition, this is important, early church tradition has it that Cleopas' son, Simeon, was the second bishop of Jerusalem following James, the half-brother of Jesus. There is also speculation that it was Simeon who was with Cleopas, not his wife, Mary. Either way, Cleopas surely gained notoriety after having been presented with the fullness of the teaching about Jesus that is in all the scripture and the theological truth that was poured out to him in this encounter. The gospels were written, and, and, and so were the epistles. They were written in such a way as to invite people to disprove the truth of what was stated if they wanted to. Go to Jerusalem. Talk to Cleopas. You may have to go up the road to Emmaus. Talk to Cleopas and to his boy or to any of the others who saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. Ask them if they saw the risen Christ. See if you think they're crazy when you talk to them and see what they tell you. Not only did the change in the lives of the disciples give strong assent to Jesus' resurrection, but there were several eyewitnesses. Here is something else to think about. The meal that Jesus shared with two ordinary followers was at the center of Resurrection Day events, establishing the order of worship under the new covenant. Everything that we have considered from Luke 24 happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, which was, of course, the first day of the week. Well, at the end of Luke 24, it talks about Jesus' ascension, but right up to the very end, everything occurred on Resurrection Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday rather than on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, by the way, is Saturday. A lot of people say, oh, we worship on the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath technically is on Saturday, although it's very appropriate to say, I'm going to practice taking a Sabbath, even if it's a day other than Sunday. But just to be clear, Sabbath was Saturday. Sunday, the Lord's Day, is the day on which we worship Him, the day on which He rose from the dead and appeared to so many of His followers. Furthermore, since the breaking of the bread is at the center of Resurrection Day, now, remember how often we've talked about things in the middle 
of a, of a paragraph or, a, or, or, or a, a prominent teaching. Things in the very middle are extremely important. The breaking of the bread uh, at the center of Resurrection Day events lead us to say that there is no mistake in the importance given to the Lord's Supper. It's, it's the very moment when their eyes were open. I said last week that Luke is known for the number of meals that Jesus enjoyed with others or that he spoke about in his teaching. I, I saw only Jesus talking about money as he first came into Jerusalem, but it's true, all through the Gospel of Luke, there are meals that are either participated in or spoken about. And when you think about it, so often Jesus' gracious hospitality at table was extended to people who would not normally be invited to eat with important people. And everyone knew Jesus was important. It's interesting that the guest in Luke 24 became the host. Pun not intended to our former Catholic friends. When Jesus, though, took the bread and broke it, he became the host. Even if Cleopas did not see the connection with the Lord's Supper, surely Luke's readers are supposed to see the connection. And what a beautiful connection it is that Cleopas' eyes were open when Jesus broke the bread. Next Sunday morning, we're going to share communion together during this time in this space. So please be prepared with the bread and the juice or the wine, as the case may be for you. Every time we come to the table, we anticipate the Lord meeting with us in a special way. As a reminder of our redemption and as a reminder of the, of, of the intimate fellowship we share with him and with one another. This will be true even though we're not together in one place. We make exceptions for shut-ins and, and, and take communion to them. So surely as we gather virtually next Sunday, it's appropriate that we break bread together. One more thing about Jesus sharing the meal with his disciples. The meal was shared after the teaching about Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection brought clarity to the believers' hearts. In fact, Emmaus and his companion said, did our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us? And they're not talking about the way you would have heart burn after a, a meal that I might prepare, but they were talking about the passion that burned in their hearts as Jesus spoke the word to them. At the Last Supper, Jesus made the connections between the bread and all it represented in the Old Testament and his body. He made the connection between the bread and his body. He also connected the Passover cup of redemption with the new covenant in his blood. I always look so forward to our times at the table. And no matter which elder or staff member leads, we are instructed from the word before we partake. The time at the Lord's table is designed to take us deeper 
into the gospel and to draw us closer to Jesus and to one another. Some people assign too much meaning to the elements of the communion, saying that the bread and the wine, when consecrated, become the body and the blood of Christ. We do not believe that, but we must resent the resist the temptation to reduce the supper to only symbolic ritual. The supper is inextricably linked with God's word and the gospel of Jesus. So there is one more list, but this is a list you can mostly work out for yourself. Let's just call it Resurrection Day application. We cannot know, and we begin with this, we cannot know Jesus unless our spiritual eyes are open. Therefore, we should pray for God to open our eyes and the eyes of those in our lives. Time and again on Resurrection Day, Jesus' identity was hidden from the people until the Lord opened their eyes, enabling them to see that the one standing before them was none other than Jesus. We cannot see him unless he opens our eyes. Chances are good if you are listening or watching this, then he has opened your eyes already. But maybe not, and maybe this is the very time he is opening your eyes. And even if our eyes have already been opened, there is so much more to know about Jesus. Pray that God will open your eyes to see him more clearly. Also, when you're praying for those who don't know Jesus, make sure that you pray, spend more time praying that he will open their eyes than you do, that you will know what to say. Surely what we say is important, but what we say doesn't mean anything unless the Lord opens their eyes. Second, though you may feel insignificant, when you belong to Jesus, you are the most important person in the world to him. I'm convinced that we spend most of our lives, most of our days, trying to overcome our childhood. That stuff that happened when we were growing up stays with us all our days. And although a lot of it is good, some of it was bad, and it seems like the bad things play over and over in our lives, lives and in our minds. Do, do you remember what it was like to feel invisible or all too visible? Do you remember feeling inadequate and alone? Why would Jesus want anything to do with you? <laughs> but then I hear the Lord saying, Brad, don't you know you are exactly the kind of person I love? I love you. You are mine. You belong to me. You're a child of God. Dear Saint, dear brother or sister in Christ, Jesus loves you. Those of you who don't know him, he loves you so much he died for you. Open your heart 
Ask him to open the eyes of your understanding and call out to him to save you. As far as you are concerned, as far as he is concerned, you are the most important person. There is nobody more important to him than you. He loves it when you seek him, which is the focus of our third application point. All scripture points to Jesus. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, it all does, as well as the New Testament. Therefore, take all scripture seriously. Allison and I watched the Seder meal this past week that was made available to us by the organization known as Jews for Jesus. How wonderful. It was a powerful reminder of the many ways Jesus or the Lord prepared for us to be able to see Jesus and the glory of heaven as it was magnified most oddly enough in his crucifixion and his death, but then in his resurrection as well. And it was all prophesied in the Old Testament. Resurrection Day was not the beginning of an entirely new story. It was the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, beginning at the cross and continuing with the resurrection. And it was all laid out in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, when the Lord, after judging the woman, promised her that it would be her seed that would crush the head of the serpent. Satan would bite the heel of her son, and it was a son many generations later, but that son would crush the head of the serpent. And then in Exodus with the Passover, and Leviticus with the sacrifices, and then in Numbers with the bronze snake that was lifted up, and we could go on through all the Old Testament, but you get the point. All scripture is inspired by God. So let's get to it. And let's look for Jesus as we read. Fourth, the more we seek Jesus in the word and at the table, the more our hearts will burn with passion for him. John Super, a staff member at TVR back in the day, way back in the day, used to say, if you want to hear God speaking, then you have to be where he has chosen to speak. Amen. If we're never in the Word, if we're never in church, if we don't talk to others about Jesus, and if we, we see the Lord's Supper as nothing more than, than church ritual rather than a vibrant connection that we have in Jesus' redemption of our souls, then no wonder we don't hear the Lord speaking to us. Look, when, when we are in the word and when Jesus comes alive in our hearts and minds and imaginations, we will love him and passionately seek him all the more. When Jeremiah wanted to quit preaching God's word because of the cost to his soul and to his body, he said in chapter 20, Verse 9, if I say I will not mention or speak any more in his name, there is a fire in my heart as it was a burning, a burning fire, as it were a burning fire. Okay, cut that last little bit. I'm going to start 
at this point. When Jeremiah wanted to quit preaching God's word because of the cost to both his soul and to his body, he said in chapter 20, verse 9, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. The New Testament authors who said similar things may have said them in a little bit more positive way, but it's the truth. When the word is in our heart, <coughs> and Jesus has made a difference in our lives, we cannot but speak in his name. He lights a fire in our heart, and that leads us to the last point. Lord, fill our hearts with such passion for Jesus that we must tell our neighbors, he is risen. Amen. May it be so. He is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you. See you soon. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.